Hello! Hello. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Kim. Welcome to the Massive Fans Book Club Podcast. We are so happy to have you here with us today as we dive into our first Sarah J. Mass book, A Court of Thorns and Roses. Quick backstory here. Kim and I are in a book club that I accidentally started right before the pandemic. And long story short, Kim joined us for book club when we renewed our schedule for 2021. And she brought to the table Akatar. And then I love the story a little too much to let it go. <laughs> so here we are. Because I have a lot of things to say. <laughs> so, Kim, why don't you tell us a little bit about being a survivor of mass destruction? Because you're kind of the uh, expert here. <laughs> um, well, if you are a current fan and know Sarah J. Mass's work, you should understand that statement. Um, if you're not, um, Sarah J. Mass has three series. Um, she has the Throne of Glass series, which is complete. She has the Crescent City series, which... The first book is out. The second book will be coming out later this year, I think. Don't hold me to that. I Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, and then the A Court of Thorns and Roses series. And you will get to a point in the story, something will happen almost in every book that literally it's like your heart is about to beat out of your chest. And you're like, I can't make it. I can't make it. I can't make it. And then all of a sudden, you can and you survived so you're a survivor of mass destruction and i'm just saying that maybe they should come with a warning label uh if you're like me uh i'm currently six months pregnant and i started this series you know when i was a little less pregnant but you know i was extra emotional and uh i'm extra emotional anyway so this was kind of a lot so uh Luckily, I, I made it through. I'm sure we'll get to know each other better as the podcast goes on, but a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, Kim and I are both theater nerds with degrees to prove it, and yep. uh, neither of us actually work in theater, no. and that's a whole different story. But what that means is we uh, bring to the table a lot of weird knowledge, uh, a lot of empathy, and uh, the ability to visualize things in disgusting amounts of detail. Yes. Yes, it's all about the visual. Yeah, we have a lot of pictures in our head. We, uh, you know, have whole movies in our head, which is, again, a whole nother problem. <laughs> like I said, wrapping up a little bit of housekeeping as we start off our first episode. Uh, you know, warning, we try not to be too crazy, but if you have little tiny ears who maybe shouldn't hear me dropping F-bombs when I get really frustrated with certain characters, uh, you might want to pop your headphones in. You know, also the book has some things that aren't for little kids anyway. Yes. To say the least. There are some adult themes. And it only gets worse as we get <laughs> deeper into the series. There's just more they probably shouldn't hear. But again, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, the clean series is thrown a glass. Yes, which also we hope to one day be doing on this podcast as well. So be oh, on the lookout will. for that. We will. All right. And with that, A Court of Thorns and Roses published in 2015. Let's jump into chapters one through 10. Ready? Ready. Okay. Okay. Chapter one. Farrah is hunting in the woods. It's mid to late winter. And we're thinking that that might be like late January, maybe February, because she mentions that they hoped that the food would last through the winter and it hasn't. And I point this out because it matters not at all really right now, but it matters later when we start talking about passage of time. It, yeah. 
So while we're hunting, we get some insight into Farrah's thoughts and like her life. And she also tells us a little bit about how she has spent, you know, stolen hours in a decrepit barn with a certain man named Isaac Hale, who apparently doesn't count on her list of, I don't know, I guess suitors is what she's trying to tell us. It doesn't count for. She just says he doesn't count. Which is like mildly rude, but that's okay. Uh, because the side note there is I just appreciate that we immediately address like that she has family. And we also immediately address that this is not your typical like young adult fiction girl. Uh, you know, she's seen and done some things. She's not a virgin and she's completely capable of making her own sexual decisions without, you know, being terribly attached. Which, again, we're just tucking that in the back of our head for later because... I had found myself the first time I read through this series worrying that this was going to go down a Hunger Games route and that I was going to be like, am I too old for this? <laughs> um, but no, no, she's, she's, she's different. This is not your typical YA. She's, you know, she's growing, she's learning things. She's doing, you know, she's doing what a girl do, but, uh, yep. <laughs> so she's hunting, she's hunting, she comes uh, along and she's, uh, noticed a doe that she's going to try to get. And all of a sudden, she notices that she's not the only one watching this doe. She sees a pair of eyes, and they belong to a wolf. But this ain't any old normal wolf. Uh, she says that worse than his unnatural size is his unnatural stealth. Uh, even as he inches closer in the brush, he remains unheard, unspotted by the doe. No animal that massive could be so quiet. So she's thinking that maybe this isn't your normal everyday wolf. She'd been warned that maybe there had been these like weird freak big wolves out there. And now she's thinking it could be of Prithian origin, which means it could be somehow not a wolf, but a fairy. So in case uh, you didn't know, uh, this is a fantasy book. And uh, you've immediately been introduced to fairies on like page four. <laughs> well, that, and if I, to also keep in mind, this is a retelling of the Beauty and the Beast fairy tale. Um, and that is kind of important to know. There, there are several themes and we'll talk about them, but this, this, this is definitely Beauty and the Beast. And, and that is definitely important to know. This book definitely brings out the Beauty and the Beast storyline. For sure. And I think the reason, so just FYI, Kim and I have both read these books more than once. I have done kind of two and a half rereads. <laughs> and Kim has, I think, done more than that. I see as I get some uh, squinty eye and some uh, silent nods. <laughs> I think I've read this series probably four, no, five times, six times at least. So the point being, uh, sometimes we notice stuff and we will try to be as spoilers-free as possible. But the point is, is upon my second reread, uh, suddenly I'm realizing that what she's trying to tell us in this moment, because it's from her perspective, is she is telling us that she's unsure if this is a regular wolf or some kind of, you know, fairy, magical, Perithian wolf. And she is thinking that it can't be a regular wolf, which is why... When she goes to shoot it, she chooses an ash arrow, which we'll come back to later. But what that tells me is that she doesn't think it's normal. She does think it's probably fairy. But later, we are in denial of this fact. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the whole Pharaoh versus the wolf and the doe thing goes down. 
And she says that the wolf nearly looked at me, uh, his moth stained in blood, my ash arrow protruding so vulgarly from his side. The snow began falling again. He looked and with a sort of awareness that surprised me, made me fire a second arrow. So she shoots a second arrow right into its eyeball while it's looking at her, which is pretty gross. And she says that uh, she wished she could feel remorse for this dead thing. But this was the forest and it was winter. She was hungry. Right. So that's how we and wrap up chapter one. So chapter one is just a like flash in the pan. We got a girl. We're in the woods. We're <laughs> we, hunting. We are hunting. Uh, girl has a family. Girl has, you know, issues because if she's the one out hunting, clearly <laughs> something is awry. And uh, we get a little bit of backstory on her, but mostly we just know that she has found this dough to feed her family. And now she's not just going to get the dough to bring home, but she's going to be taking this wolf with her. So, like I said, that kind of concludes chapter one. And what an entrance, you know? Um, just one thing that popped up to me, because I like to relate things to pop culture, like pop culture to other pop culture. And uh, the Ash Arrow... <laughs> I'm sorry, but the ash arrow concept is apparently that the only thing that can kill a fairy is these ash arrows, right? These are arrows, I guess, what, from an ash tree, the bark, mm -hmm. right? Well, they're made from the wood, yeah. Yeah, so uh, that's the only thing that can kill a fairy, and I'm sorry, but that early on description of like, oh yeah, by the way, there's just this one weird kryptonite of fairies reminded me so much of Vampire Diaries when like two episodes are in, they're like, okay, I know they're vampires, but Vervain, though. <laughs> And we're all like, what? So, uh, yeah, we're just going to take that and it is what it is. This is world building, guys. It just is what it is. Well, I mean, it's even like, go back to, you made the kryptonite reference. I mean, Superman has one weakness. What is it? Kryptonite. So, what is kryptonite? We don't really know. It's know, fine. Some, some weird rock? I, I don't know. But yeah, no, it does. And and you do find this, especially if you read a lot of fantasy, you will find that there is something in nature that will bring down the critter, whatever said critter is. And as we go on, you'll find out we both read a lot of fantasy and we both are avid readers. Um, so yeah, but definitely you'll find nature. All right. So chapter two. She skins this wolf in the woods because she's like, I cannot be carrying the doe and the wolf back myself. I am but one person. So she skins the wolf right then and there, takes the wolf pelt, puts it on top of the doe, and then proceeds to carry the doe back on her shoulders. And I'm just saying she's a lot stronger than I am. <laughs> There's no way I'm getting that doe back to the house. But that's why I'm not in this book. <laughs> That is why I am at home in my pajamas reading this book. But that's beside the point. <clears throat> so she gets back to her house, which I guess some kind of rundown cottage cabin, something like that. Yeah. And she briefly mentions that there are these carvings around the doors and windows that supposedly ward off all the fey kind. And she kind of tells us, the reader, that. But she also kind of implies that she doesn't really believe it. Her dad just believes it. So he had it done to the house. And she's like, I guess I hope it works. Well, her sisters believe it, too, I think. Yeah. They don't, I don't know if the sisters specifically talk about the carvings. But point is, is they're hoping that this would ward off any fey kind. So we shall see. So she comes in and she proceeds to throw this dough down on the table 
Like, y'all, I caught dinner. Here's the bloody massacre to prove it. And she's tired, and I get it, but also, ew. She's cold. Yeah, but also, ew, it's on the table now, but that's beside the point. Uh, but this is at the point where uh, we meet her family, who also, I think, thought, ew, but thank you. <laughs> So her father, we are told, was badly injured, essentially when some creditors decided to try to come beat money out of him like he's a pinata and left him with a messed up leg, yeah. which we are supposed to understand is his reasoning for why he doesn't leave the house and try to make more money or provide for his daughters. And this is Do kind of hunting how, or anything for them. Yeah. Right. So this is kind of how we had Pharaoh out in the forest, right? Well, one of the reasons. <laughs> right. We're told that he could probably have found work uh, if he hadn't been so ashamed of what had happened. And at least that's how uh, Farrah's sister Nesta feels about it. Apparently Farrah's sister Nesta, she's ha basically hated him since he became injured. And she's mad that he doesn't like try to fight back. So Well, she's hated him since before that, actually. She hated him once they lost all their money. Right. Which is how we got to the creditors. Yeah, so Nesta, let's talk about her. Uh. <laughs> She's the oldest of the three daughters, uh, who are, by the way, uh, three years apart in age. And like I said, as a pregnant woman, like, dear God, Mrs. Archeron, what were you thinking? <laughs> like, that's a lot of kids to pop out back to back. Hi. But anyway, so Nesta is the oldest. And she's basically described more or less as, like, beautiful and looking similar to Farah and their mother, but also, like, looking kind of severe and angular, probably mostly due to her personality. And uh, I think that basically I picture her as, like, the tall, skinny sister with RBF, you know, resting yeah, bitch face. Yeah, definite resting bitch face going on. <laughs> so I think that's all we need to know at her, about her at this moment. Uh, basically, she's got a lot of attitude, which is why she said, you know, what she said about her father, where she's basically you know, it's his fault that he's not doing more because he's just ashamed. And yeah, well, she yada. also thinks she's better than the rest of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's just like ingrained in her for some strange reason. Uh, so basically uh, we meet Nesta and she makes a bunch of uh, crappy remarks and uh, crappy remarks to Farah about like looking a mess, even though she's the one who just secured them food. So, you know, rude. <laughs> well, but And when Farah asks her, why didn't you, why didn't you chop the wood? Like I asked, mm -hmm. she's like, why would I do that when you can do it? Yeah, so that tells you all you need to know about Nesta. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Farrah is out getting dinner? Yeah, like I maybe, don't know. maybe she was a little busy. So before I move on more into the plot, we also meet Elaine. She's the middle sister, but she kind of acts like the youngest because she's been babied by Nesta this whole time since their mother passed away, which is a whole nother thing we'll get into in a minute. But basically, Elaine is supposed to be the quiet, pretty sister, you know? She's supposed to be breathtakingly beautiful. Yeah, she gardens. <laughs> that just kind of shows us that neither Nesta or Farah are pushovers, and they're like, neither one was going to back down. Uh, obviously, we feel more for Farah because she's been actively trying to keep the family alive. Two points in her column. Zero for Nesta at this moment. Because <laughs> Nesta's just mad. And that's, you can't eat that. So that's kind of irrelevant. <laughs> Anger will not fill the belly. Yeah. So we get beyond this. Farah and Elaine were out shopping and Elaine did use some of her money to buy Farah some paints, which comes up later because we find out that those are the paints that Farah has been using for years to like paint little things around the cabin. So even though Elaine does want to shop and she does want to have money, like she does think of her sister at least more so than Nesta does. Well, 
something to bear in mind. Yes. So she buys, she buys her the paint, but that's because Farrah really has the heart of an artist and she has the heart and soul of an artist. And, and, you know, she's being forced to, to hunt and to, to provide for her family. You know, she's the baby doing all the providing and yet she's really nothing more than an artist. And she just wants to, to paint. Elaine realized that at least with the paint, she could help Farah make things beautiful around their house. And Farah has in the past bought seeds for Elaine, Elaine so that she could garden. So the two of them are a little bit, uh, I guess I'd say on better terms than say Nesta and Farah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll say that to say the least. Circling back a little bit, we learn about Mrs. Arturon. So, so Farah and, and Elaine and Nesta's mother, so we know that she died when they were young and when she died, she made Farah swear to quote, stay together and look after them, which is a lot to ask of, if I did my math right, a girl who's less than 10 years old. Yeah. You have two older daughters. Now granted, they're only a year apart. So, you know, she's less than 10. Then the others are probably like, you know, close to 10. So no matter what, this is a crappy thing to ask of your kids. We find out tidbits about her mother as the book goes on that uh, she may not be the greatest person in the world anyway, because for example, she made her make this crappy promise. So how great of a mom could she be? She's not winning awards here. Yeah. But anyway, that's not here nor there. We learn a little more about her later. So eventually the family sits down to dinner and they all just keep talking. And that allows us to, as the reader, to learn a few things like that Nesta is hoping to get engaged to Thomas Mandre. And uh, this sets off a whole new fight at the dinner table because Ferris says that she shouldn't and won't get married to him because his family is too poor and the Archerons can't afford a dowry anyway. And why would she want to marry some other poor guy if she hates being poor, yada, yada. You know, sisterly verbal daggers are thrown <laughs> like yeah. siblings do. And then we get this fascinating quote from her dad who says that Nesta should get married to him if they're in love. And Farrah just kind of eye rolls like, what is this love crap? <laughs> and he says, <laughs> but no, what he says is really important because I think it tells us what we need to know about her dad. He says, we need hope as much as we need bread and meat let her keep this hope, which I think tells us what we need to know about her dad, which is kind of like her having the heart of an artist. I think he was kind of like a big softy who probably did love his daughters, but just had clearly no understanding or natural ability to care for them as yeah. a single parent. Essentially. No, I would agree. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, I think he's a dreamer. Yes. <laughs> which, you know, I think says a lot about why Feyre is the way she is. And I think that's just important to keep in mind as these characters continue to progress. Because that also points out that mom wasn't probably the warm and fuzzy one dad clearly was. <laughs> no, I don't uh, think mom is very warm or fuzzy. However, Farrah's response to her father, even more importantly, is there is no such thing. She has decided there is no such thing as hope. And I think that tells us where she is. I also think she doesn't in believe in love either. Well, yeah, there's that too. <laughs> So that kind of wraps up chapter two. As Kim and I discussed, we have quite a bit of empathy for people. We, we have no problem poking fun at these family members because at this moment we don't know them well enough. But admittedly, they all have been through things. And we understand that, that 
this is not them showing their best foot on their best day. You know, right, right. this isn't best foot forward. This is just unfortunately them on a regular Tuesday, kind of starving, kind of not sure what their next steps are. Well, and they're trying to figure out how to survive. Right. I mean, it is a game of survival at this point. Right. Chapter three, we get less insight in this chapter. Uh, so basically we can speed things up. Uh, long story short, Feyre and her sisters go to the market to sell the wolf pelt. Uh, we're introduced to the children of the blessed. We learn about the Fae and their treaty and a little bit about Isaac. And then the chapter just ends, you know, with dinner. I'm kidding. We'll do better than that. So we can dive into those bullet points. <laughs> so Feyre and her sisters go to the market to sell the wolf pelt. And they run into the children of the blessed. <laughs> <laughs> who are kind of like door-to-door Mormons, but for, <laughs> but for Faye, or maybe better yet, like the guy standing on a milk crate in New York City yelling about the end times. Uh, Do you believe in Jesus? Right. So either way, the girls are like, nope, nope, abort mission. <laughs> Uh, but they don't make it. They do not abort mission fast enough. Uh, it's a long story short. The children of the blessed believe, I think we don't get a great description of this. Uh, the children of the blessed essentially believe that, uh, the other humans are wrong. The humans that hate the fairies are wrong and that the fae are like, kind of like gods and that are their saviors. Right. And that everything over the wall and Prithian is magical and wonderful and the fae should be worshiped. And, you know, they'll basically go around to people trying to convince them to believe this. So they go around the market, just like telling stories. And we don't get a lot of detail on this because Nesta gets super defensive and she's all, I hate fairies. Look at my iron bracelet. Get out of my face. Uh, Cause she thinks the iron bracelet can repel fairies. So she's like rubbing it in the ch- children of the blessed space. Yeah. So real quick, the description we get about Nesta in this exchange is that Feyre says it was impressive, truly impressive to see Nesta go ramrod straight to square her shoulders and look down her nose at the young acolyte, a queen without a throne. And I just love that visual. So basically Nesta gets all high and mighty on these people like get out of my face. And they do. Really not because of Nesta, though, because finally Fair is just like, you have no hope. You're not going to convince these people. Just move along. <laughs> you know, she basically hands a dollar to the guy on the milk crate and is like, just please take my dollar and be quiet. <laughs> yeah, more or less. <laughs> so the sisters go off to walk around and Fair goes off to find someone to buy the wolf pelt. So she comes across this female mercenary who seems wicked cool. And offers to buy the wolf pelt at a really good price that benefits Farah. Uh, we get some details about the mercenary, like that she's killed a fairy before. She's been to war. She used to have money troubles, which is why she's paying forward that favor of buying the wolf pelt for a good price. So yeah, we get all these cool stories. She's got like these scars and she talks about how she has like black veins in her leg from when something magical poison happened and uh, we get like a lot of details, but at the same time, not enough details. And it's weird because then she never comes back up again. Yeah. Spoiler. Like, yeah. She never shows up again in the series. Big <laughs> yeah. spoiler. So like she got so much screen time per se that I thought she'd be back. And she isn't. But she isn't. <laughs> so forget her. Anyway, the important information we get from the mercenary is basically that the Fae Treaty with the humans may be on the outs. Uh, There may be an attack pending from over the wall, and maybe Feyre should stay out of the woods. Well, 
you know, we haven't talked to them about what the treaty is. So, well, to be fair, wall, a lot of people haven't talked about what the treaty is or the wall in the book. <laughs> we get this information piecemeal. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So why don't you give us a little bit of background on. Okay. So background and you'll get a lot more as you continue to read the book and read the story um, and read the series. But uh, 500 years before there was a, uprising in the fairylands and the humans broke away from the fairies prior to that the humans were the slaves of the fairies they had an uprising had a civil war for all intents and purposes yep. mm -hmm. and broke away to free themselves from being under fairy rule and some of the fairies actually sided with the humans so it was fairy against fairy and it, like I said, very civil war. It was a big, ugly, big, ugly. Um, at the end of the war, the winners were the humans and the fairies that sided with them. Mm -hmm. And as a temporary fix or what was supposed to be a temporary fix, a 500 a, year long temporary fix. No, it wasn't quite that long, but it's hundreds no, of years. No, it is 500. Is it 500? It's about 500. Whoo. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> In, in to say the least that you know 500 years have passed since the resolution at the end of the war to, to kind of when space was allocated between fairies and humans and the lands were allocated between fairies and humans to keep that separation and to keep the humans really safe from the fairies that might want to come back and take the land or or harm the humans they put up this invisible barrier of a wall well it was never meant to be permanent um, it was only meant to be temporary. The humans that are alive now don't remember what the agreement really was with the treaty and, and what what all the bits, pieces, and parts were. And, and it's I, been a really long game of telephone about it. Yeah, there is. And it has not been a good game of telephone. So at this point, the humans, they know the, the, the very rough, rough basics. And that's about all they know. And they really don't they don't know the details and they don't know the what, why, where, how anymore. Which is okay because as the reader, we don't know a lot of that right now either. But what we do know is that there is this treaty, there is this wall and the wall may not be working so good. Yeah. There might be like holes in it or something. And fairies coming across to yeah, kill humans. Because there might have been some fairies doing some shiznit that they should not be doing. Hence why we think that maybe this wolf was fae. But in fairness, the mercenary who takes the pelt says, nah, nah, I don't think it looks like fae. I think this is just a regular big wolf, which I find fascinating. But I digress. she has fought and killed Faye. Right. So, like, does she really think that? Or is she just trying to calm down Pharaoh? Who knows? We don't know. Because Nesta barges in. <laughs> and Nesta's like, okay, let's go home now. Let's go away. And she's, like, grabbing Pharaoh's arm. And Pharaoh's well, like, wait, uh. no. Because then she's like, wait, you have money. I want to shop. Yeah. She pulls Nesta. Well, essentially, Nesta pulls Pharaoh away because of two reasons. One, you have money and this is taking too long. And I want your money and I want to shop. Two... Nesta and Elaine admit to Farah that at one point, not this mercenary, but some mercenary at the market, they had kind of mugged Nesta and Elaine. So they don't trust these mercenaries. And Farah was like, well, why didn't you report it? Or why didn't you tell me? And Nesta tells us what we need to know about them, which is who would believe us? So clearly Nesta and Elaine, even though they seem to not 
know that they're poor. They they do know. Ferris splits out the money and they all go shop. And while they're walking around, uh, we get a little more insight into Farrah's uh, Isaac situation. <laughs> Basically, she says that they spent their time together and she saw it as more of an escape, something fun, nothing serious, but that Isaac is engaged and getting married. And Favor basically says, yeah, like that hurts a little, but she's not like upset about it because she didn't love him anyways. And she didn't want to marry him anyways. Trudging right along, uh, the girls go shopping. They get home. <laughs> they sit down to dinner. And then an uninvited guest appears, roaring and busting through the door. Take it away, Kim. Chapter four, The Beast. The Beast interrupts dinner. Dun, dun, dun. So they're sitting at the table. They've just finished eating. I mean, they're like licking the fork. Which also Sarah J. Mass literally tells us about. And I was like, wow, that is some detail. It's very like, it's one of those visuals that we talked about earlier. Yeah. It just stuck in my head. Favorite is sitting there licking the fork and the door gets blown open. And this beast comes roaring in and destroys the door. Just a little bit. Kind of sucks because they're poor. Um, and as soon as it happens, of course, Nesta and Elaine are absolutely terrified. And they go back by the bedroom door and, and cower and hide. And dad kind of goes off to the side by them. But Farah, Farah. This, this scrawny little <laughs> malnourished 19-year-old chick stands her ground and faces off with the beast. I'm like, you go, girl. Not only that, but like, just to get a visual of this beast, he's described as large as a horse with a body that is somewhat feline. His head is distinctively wolfish. Mm-hmm. And apparently he's got elk-like horns that are like curled, protruding from his head. And dagger-like claws and yellow fangs so i mean this ain't cute no he's he's kind of scary looking yeah so she's all big and ugly yeah she's all square chested with the big and ugly and as he comes in he starts screaming who killed him murderers murderers you're murderers (laughs) and the problem is is everybody's like who what they're all just, who are you talking about, dude? And he's just roaring and ranting and raving. And they're like, we didn't kill anybody. Come to find out, Beast finally gets out. He wants to know who killed the wolf. Because apparently the wolf was his friend. Now we know what he's talking about. He didn't get the wrong house. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a truly, it's an oh fuck moment. I hate to say yeah. it, but that's really the only yeah, way to say it. First, I think this is our first F-bomb for this episode, and it's deserved. Like, Nesta, Elaine, everybody's just looking at each other like, oh. But yeah. no, really, it was the F-bomb. Yeah. Um. Anyway... Farah again stands her ground and she's like, I did. <laughs> and the beast keeps looking at her and then he's looking at her sisters who are healthier looking, better dressed. Just 
I get the feeling maybe a little taller. Taller. Maybe a little visibly older, at least Nesta. Yeah. And he looks at the dad and realizes it was not dad. Yeah, he's just like, you know, derping around with the one and a half legs. And, you know, but he keeps staring at Nesta and Elaine like, no, nah, it's got to be you guys. It can't be this one. And, you know, the girls, both Nesta and Elaine, keep going, no, we didn't kill anyone or anything. And Bear was like, no, really, it was me. Me. I killed him. I did it. And so then the beast starts going off about, well, they have to fulfill the treaty, which means a life for a life. And of course, yet again, we have another F-bomb moment when everybody's just like, <laughs> Wait, what? That's a lot, sir. So, of course, Farrah thinks immediately she's going to be killed. Mm-hmm. So because of that thought, she's like, all right, fine. Just do it outside. Because she didn't want her family to have to clean up the inside of the cabin. Yeah. All of her butt, her blood, her guts, the whole bit. Like, she's like, if you're going to kill me, do it outside, man. She, she is like such a warrior that she was like, okay, I get it. My time is up. Just do me a favor and don't mess up the upholstery. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> like, that is a really, like, if you think about it, like, she has really accepted this and she is just thinking far enough. All right. It's my time to die. Please don't make this harder on my family. They'd really rather not get out the mop and bucket today. Because they don't like to do work. And we might not even own one mop. <laughs> <laughs> there's that. So there's that. So the beast is like, whoa, 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 whoa. There's another way to fulfill the treaty. Say what? We don't have to kill you. I, you just have to come live with me in Prithian. In the fairylands. <laughs> I repeat, say What? Forever. Uh, then Farah, like a dumb, confused 19-year-old do, is like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. And then he tells us again. And then she's like, death or live with me in Prithian. Right. I have lands. You can live on my land. Right. And then she's like, no, really, what? And so we get it kind of a third time. <laughs> Die. Or come live with me in Prithian on my land. I have land you can live on. However, you're never leaving. Farah finally is like, you know what, fine, I'll go. And as she's preparing to leave, and she's looking around and gathering her things, Nesta has Elaine behind her. Mm-hmm. And they're both crying and they're all upset. Not because Fair is leaving, or at least Nesta's certainly not crying because Fair is leaving. Though I think in some ways she might be only because she realizes her source of food just is about to walk out the door. But you know, they're they're cowering and they're crying and they're they're just they're all freaked out. Fair has this realization of two things. The first one is that. Nesta will literally die before she lets anything happen to Elaine. Right. Which is, I think, really important to take in at this moment. Yeah, it's huge because it it means that Nesta will do anything she has to in her power to keep Elaine safe. And really, Favor is kind of the same way, but she's really that way with both sisters, which is kind of crazy when you consider what a bitch Nesta is to her. Every day about pretty much everything. 
The second thing that she does realize, though, is that she and Nesta are really two sides of the same coin. Yup. So they're so similar, they cannot get along. Let's face it, a lot of 19-year-olds don't have the self-awareness and the maturity right. to think that. So it's kind of impressive that, like, in this crazy-ass moment of, oh, my God, what's going on? I'm going to die. She has this moment of clarity. Then, as Fair is getting ready to leave, she would, just before she walks out the door, well, there are two things that happen. So as the Beast is walking out, he notices her bow and her bow and quiver of arrows. He finds the ash arrow. <laughs> yeah, he do. And he destroys it. He breaks it in half and throws it in the fire. So, dude, they're screwed. Yeah. So I guess Favor's not taking that with her, is she? No, but she did sneak a knife. She did. She did. Their father grabs her, stops her before she walks out. The beast is already outside. And he looks at, at Vera and he says, if you can ever escape or get free from Prithian, do not return. Find your own way. Go somewhere else. But do not return. Yep. He tells her that she's too good for here. That she's too good for them. That she's too good for everyone. Which I think is, like I said, he's a dreamer. He's a nice guy. And he really does, I think, see what she brings and does for the family. It just... It's also kind of a weird, bizarro moment that dad's like, don't come back. Right, right. She, she dad, thanks. Although one other thing she does do right before she leaves, and I think that this stuck out for me, is remember when we were talking about, was Nesta going to marry Thomas Mandre? Maybe, maybe not. She says, whatever you do, don't marry Thomas Mandre. His father beats his wife and none of his sons do anything to stop it. Bruises are harder to conceal than poverty. And Nesta is like, oh, crap. Because that's the last thing Feyre can do to still try to save her sisters. Like, even walking out the door to all this uncertain nonsense, she has one last thing she can do to try to help Nesta, no matter if Nesta would have helped her. Right. Which, again. Yeah. Wow. Just fascinating. That's the end of chapter four. (laughs) Chapter five. It's short, actually. (laughs) It really is. (laughs) At least comparatively. (laughs) Comparatively, it's very short. And there's really not a lot to say other than Feyre travels to Prithian with the Beast. Right. One of the most notable things about it is that as they leave the house and they walk into the woods, there's this white mare just standing there waiting. Docile. Just standing. The Beast comes up and the mare doesn't even blink. Mare's like, yeah, okay. And Fair actually notices this, and she's kind of like, hmm, this is weird. Justice, Midgey. And she also notices as they're walking that it's like deathly, deathly quiet around them. So it's like they realize that the apex predator there is the beast. <laughs> um, he be the top of the food chain. Yes, he is. So that was always interesting. And then she starts to pester him with questions. And it's like playing 20 questions with the brick wall. She finally is like, well, what's your name? And he's like, why was it? Why, why does it matter? What, why is it important? Would it, would it matter to you? Is it, Which it, is the weirdest response if you really think about it. Like, 
I'm going to come kidnap you from your family. You're going to come live with me, essentially. But no, couldn't possibly. I'm going to tell you where I live. You're going to figure out where I sleep, but I couldn't tell you my, my name. name. <laughs> so weird choice, but okay. Very strange. Dude, dude's a little not normal. <laughs> but she keeps asking questions. And before she can, the beast is finally like, that's it. And he magically puts her to sleep. But right before that, they do talk about the fact that, well, he's going to have to get me to one of the breaks in the wall. Right. Which means this magical wall... It's not solid anymore, and there are holes in it, which is how the beast came through, how that wolf came through. The wolf came through, these other fairies that the mercenary talked about right. came through. So it is, and it becomes very important much later in, in later books in the series. So please put a pin in it and 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 keep that in the back of your mind that knowing about the holes in the wall does become important. And that she does give us a quote that stands out for multiple reasons. And it'll stand out uh, to different people for different reasons, depending on when, you know, where you are in your reading journey. If this is your first time and you're reading along with us, or if you've read the whole series and, you know, or if you've read at least this whole book and, and it just depends on where you are. But uh, this quote stood out to me on my second reread uh, for a couple of reasons. She says, I spied a hedge bordered metal gate ahead, my prison or my salvation I couldn't decide which. Right. And, and part of what makes this quote interesting is, you know, the quote comes out, but it's while she's pondering, what does this beast mean by lands? Yeah, what? You keep saying he has lands that she can live on. Not, not, not one piece of property, but multiple pieces. And she does kind of do the whole, the hummer? Yeah. So... It does kind of play into that quote and into the the mm -hmm. gates and the whole bit. Yeah. Chapter six. They have arrived in Prithian. And as Fa as as Kelsey said, Favor had that quote about she sees these hedged gates. And she, is it her prison or is it her salvation? We don't know. We just don't know. She does tell us that it takes two days just to get to the wall from her house. So that means that this beast had her asleep for two days. Also, I don't know if you noticed, I forgot when I read it the first time, it didn't stand out to me, but on my second reread, uh, she points out that while she was sleeping, he must have been tearing through her pockets because her knife is gone. Yep. It's not just gone, like the pocket is like ripped open. Yep. Yep. Rude. So rude. So anyway, so they, they kind of go in and she also realizes as she's waking up that she's magically bound and can't move. <laughs> like we're taking this a little far, I think. It's like, all right, dude, back off. Although also, I guess that's the same magic keeping her on the horse. So she didn't like slide off and get a concussion. So true. You know, I don't know. Half rude. So bizarre. <laughs> Just bizarre. Anyway, they get to the, to the, to the, what I would equate to a drive, like, you know, the circular, the drive. Oh, like, yes. Like, you know, you, you read the, if you're into Regency romances, which, oh, both Kelsey and I are. Um, just saying. Just saying. We, we like our romances. The beast keeps going. He goes up the steps and disappears into the house. I guess we're here. Yeah. And, and Jaira's <laughs> kind of like, um, okay, hello. She's trying to get the horse to move. Horse won't move. Finally, she gives up. She slides off the horse. 
almost falls on her ass. She gets off and she ends up following the beast into the house. And she follows him into basically what's a dining room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She says there's like what, like a big long table with there's chairs. There's this very long table that is completely loaded with food. Mm-hmm. Just like it should be groaning under all the food. It's a feast. Of course, <laughs> being being a Rennie and all, you know, I have to admit, I was kind of having like the very first time I read this, I, I had that um, like Henry VIII kind of thing, like the yes. kind of big feasts Henry VIII would have. Yeah. If you live somewhere in a country that a Ren Fair, like a Renaissance festival is not a thing, uh, you need to go vacation somewhere where there is one. It's one and go. Just go. <laughs> well, all right. When COVID will let you. But go. Right. Find, right. find a fair Maybe like to. 2022, but it'll be fine. You have to find a rent fair and go. It's a thing. Uh, and it's just like one of the other many things that Kim and I will think about all the time while we read these books. So it's fine. Uh, so if you do know what we're talking about, kudos to you. Uh, you get your nerd sticker with the rest of us. <laughs> Here's your gold star. Yeah. Um, but I do, I had that, I do, I, you know, yes. I had that kind of crazy, I yeah. don't know, Louis the 14th, Henry the eighth. Yeah. Like, like you know, from hell. turkey legs. <laughs> Yeah. Anything you can get on a stick. <laughs> Just anything, like platters of food. But she talks about it, and she talks about all this food. And two things happen. The first thing that happens is that the beast walks in, goes up to the chair at the head of the table, sits down, and poof, there's a flash of light, and, and he suddenly becomes high fay. And he's a man. <laughs> He's a pretty man with long, long hair. Hello, he, Chris he, Hemsworth. He's a pretty man. <laughs> I feel like she just even like brushes past that. She says something like, he sits down, there's a flash of light, and then there's a man with blonde hair. Long, like, blonde hair. Yeah, and you're like, okay. I feel like I'd be more shocked. I'm glad you're handling this so well. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, it, of course, the first description, the first time I read this, you know, I, they described him. I was kind of like, Thor? But yeah, I had a hard time picturing him, but it yeah. was hard. We, we argued about this. <laughs> we spent some time on this. Uh, <laughs> if you really care, we will probably be doing some uh, extra episodes where we talk about all the visuals in our head and what we want to see. And, uh, you know, spoiler, uh, they're making a TV show. Yes. And uh, Kim and I have a lot of feelings about that. So we'll yes. probably do that as some bonus episodes. Uh, the things we see in our head, especially coming from like the theater and film realm and, and things that will work on screen and won't work on screen and you know dreamcasts and all of that yeah so that's a conversation for another day but yeah so he pops up he's uh beast is actually a pretty man uh and a pretty man in a mask gold mask with <laughs> emeralds on yeah. it and and the way it's it's designed it's so pretty and so fancy these emeralds look like leaves right right so it <laughs> I, wow. Which, again, she's handling this better than I am because I'd be like, can I touch it? Yeah. And, <laughs> exactly. like, and she's that. like, yeah. I don't know. This is some weird high fay fashion. I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, she chucks it up to fashion. <laughs> huh? She's like, I don't get it. 
Of course, what does she do? She goes back to the food. She's literally like upset. I get it. Yeah. She's been starving. She's like, know? so now we're going to talk about this food. I'm, I want to eat, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> she refuses to eat. <laughs> and uh, because, yeah, as she says, you know, she grew up believing that, that if you eat the food and wine of a fairy, it will make you a slave to that fairy's mind and soul. That's kind of deep. Yeah, that's like a lot. So, but you know, there are two things that come out of this that I have to say that came to my mind. One, it's it's a recurring theme in other ways. Sure, is the Hades Persephone thing because if mm-hmm. you know your Hades Persephone Greek mythology, then yeah. you know she was told not to eat or drink anything. Don't be eating the pomegranate seed in yo. the well in the underworld, <laughs> like anything. Don't eat or drink anything in the underworld, and. She finally ended up giving in and she ate six pomegranate seeds. And that's where the whole six months winter, six months of mm-hmm. summer, you know, warm and cold. We digress, but I swear it's relevant. And boy, is it relevant later. Much later. Anyway. Boy, is it relevant later. Book two. Um, Dude, by the end of this book. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that too. But definitely in book two. But the other thing that, that, that really kind of struck me is I'm a big fan of Celtic mythology and fairy tales. I really love my Celtic fairy tales. Remember um, when I told you we were uh, an eclectic group uh, with a varying knowledge and uh, knowing a, a lot about a lot of weird things? Uh, this is Kim's. One of my many, <laughs> unfortunately. I, I, I refer to the fact that I'm a font of useless information. One of the big things in, in Celtic uh, mythology and fairy tales is if you end up in fairy with a fairy of any kind, whether you go through the fairy circle or under the hill, through the veil, however you do it, you don't eat or drink the food because it will enchant you. It will poison you. It could kill you. There are all these things depending on the myth or fairy tale, but it is harmful to people in some way, or it will, as she says, enslave you. So, it kind of goes back to that. It's kind of right. weird to have both of these things going through. And she's, ta- I mean, she's talking about this food. And it's mouthwatering. But in this situation, she gets basically laughed at because he's like, "Nah, dude, you can eat the food." But she, he gets, she, she gets laughed at by a second person. Yeah, she does. <laughs> well, and it's funny because so when he has this transformation, once she gets past the food again, and she's looking at him, and she's talking about his mask. As ornate and fancy as the mask is, the clothes he wears is very mm-hmm. utilitarian, very, yes. you know, mm-hmm. not fancy. Right. And it, it's kind of kind of weird. Like, mm-hmm. the contrast, it sets up an interesting dichotomy. Right. And all she really wants to do at this point is just escape. She wants mm-hmm. freedom. And so the beast finally tells her again, eat. It's mm-hmm. not going to hurt you. And um, this other person comes in to the room all of a sudden. <laughs> During this whole, are you going to eat and not, are you not going to eat nonsense. Tall, beautiful Faye with <laughs> red hair. And he's wearing a mask. So we, we really, at this point, we think it must be. It must be some weird fairy fashion. <laughs> right. She's like, oh, man, he's got one, too. What is this? But his is like a fox. Mm-hmm. 
that looks like a fox. And he is going off on the other dude. And he's like, so, did you? What happened? <laughs> and she's like, I'm standing here. Who are you? What are you talking about? While she's pressed up against the doorway trying to <laughs> right, figure out like, if she can slide out and escape. Um, what is happening? <laughs> Get me out of here. And the beast, he's really struggling because he's like, um, she's over there. <laughs> and the new dude turns Shut on. up. <laughs> the new dude, he comes in and he turns out and he looks at her and he's like, no, uh-uh, no way. Oh, well, my favorite part is he comes in like he owns the place. He's sitting on the table. <laughs> he just like hops up on the table like, hey, man, what's, what's up? up? <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he literally looks at Hera, and he's like, there's no way she killed him. Yeah, he's There's like, no nah. way she killed our friend. You no are way. pulling my leg. Dude, <laughs> there's something effed up here. And the, no, uh-uh, no. And so, you know, and she was like, no, really, I did it. And the beast is like, no, the treaty led me there. That's, you know, no, yeah. really. Like, it was all there. I found the arrow she killed him with. Yeah, and this is our wolf killer. Believe it or not. The beast looks back at her and he's like, look, you can leave if you want to. I'm not your jailer. Put a pin in that. It's important to know. Yeah. You can live anywhere in Prithian. And finally he's like, Alice will take you to your room. And the next mm -hmm. thing she knows, there's this woman next to her, again, wearing a mask. Yeah. This time it's a bird, right? Yeah, it's a bird mask. Bird mask. And Alice takes her. She hears them arguing in the room as they're leaving and they're walking down and Alice takes her to her room and they run a bath for her and strip her out of her clothes and make her look nice. And so when she gets done and she gets ready to come put her clothes on, she doesn't want to wear the dress that Alice has put out for her because, well, Bear hasn't worn a dress in years. Yeah, she ain't feeling it. She's like, uh-uh, no, no, no. I want my clothes. I want my clothes. And she and Alice argued and argued and argued. And, and Alice finally stomps out, comes back, and as she holds them up, they're falling apart. Yeah, like, do you really want to wear these, sweetheart? <laughs> they, 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 they're, they're, they don't, they disintegrated. Yeah, Basically, I tried to wash them, and now you're left with, you know. Scraps. Yeah. Ribbons? <laughs> yeah. Maybe we maybe could use these for us. Yeah, we can use this for a hair ribbon, maybe. Scrub the floors with it. We can make rags out of them, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're just... She couldn't wear them. Womp womp. So, she still refuses to put on the dress. So, yeah. Alice goes and finds a pair of pants and a tunic for her to wear. And as she's being dressed by Alice, she has this realization. All of a sudden, she's very shocked at how peaceful and calm around her. It is like it's very mm -hmm. quiet right. and very peaceful and very zen, kind of. Mm -hmm. And part of her is like, is this a trap? <laughs> Which, fair. Fair, fair. I mean, her life kind of went sideways and it's short been a time. weird 24 hours or so. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she was asleep for two days, but you know, conscious, it's been weird. It's weird 24 hours. Absolutely. <laughs> and then just before Alice is done getting her ready, She's combing her hair and doing the whole thing because they had to cut her hair. They had to do all kinds of crazy to her. Yeah, poor girl. we we had to get her looking 
you know. Human. Yeah. Not like an urchin. Yeah. Um, Alice tells her, and this is a direct quote, if you're wise, you will keep your mouth shut and your ears open. Your senses will betray you here. And yes, that quote is so important in so many ways. And it comes back and play on a couple of different levels at a couple of different times. So put a pin in it. Don't forget that quote. Yeah. And she definitely is like, Alice is like trying to do something here. Like she is really trying to like build this relationship with Ferris. She's like, I get it. You don't really want to be here. You didn't like, you didn't just like roll up to our front door and ring our doorbell. Like, yeah. Like she's like, I get it. You don't really want to be here. You're mad about everything. That's why you're like throwing a fit about the dress. Like she goes and finds her an outfit. That's not a dress. Right. And you know, so she's trying to be cooperative, but she also wants to, you know, give fair this heads up of like, you know, Hey, you're, dude, you're not really alone. I'm well, kind of here on your side, believe it or not. We but not only that, side. but, like, you're not in Kansas anymore. Yeah, well, there's that. <laughs> no, no, she's not in Kansas. Sorry, Toto. And I think that more or less starts to wrap chapter six, but I want yeah. to go back because... We can go back. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> because Kim knows where this is going. Because we glossed over the fact that we have now met my favorite character. <laughs> Oh, by the way, we did find out his name is... Yes, Lucian. Our fox-masked man, Lucian, has the best sense of humor, and I am immediately in love with him. One of his first things out of his mouth to Feyre is a... He's he's trying to apologize for basically calling her, you know, a scrawny young doofus who can't probably kill a wolf. So he's kind of like messing around and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. He introduces himself with, you know, a ridiculous flourish and he says, he tries to compliment her. Your eyes are like stars and your hair like burnished gold. Like he's such a weasel and I love him. I was like, okay, he's my favorite. Just say it. He's a fun character. I like he him. Is, so we can't scooch past that. We did get a name for him. Lucian is wearing a fox mask and he's like around. Oh, the other big thing to know about Lucian mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. so she notices this beautiful mask. Oh, oh yeah. So his right eye is this beautiful russet color. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But his left eye is made out of gold and it's metal. Yeah, his left eye not there. And he has a scar that runs from about the middle of his forehead above his left eye all the way down into his cheek. Kind of gruesome. Yeah, so something happened there. So actually that's one of the theories she throws out there. She was like, oh, I guess because of his eyeball, he wears this mask and his friend here just wears wears one in in solidarity. solidarity. (laughs) I was like, this is a really weird thing to think, but okay, child, let's go with it. Again, this would be the least of my worries if I'd had the weird 24 hours she's had, but you know, I digress. Whatever, you know. Her coping methods definitely keep me on my toes. Right, exactly. So whatever, moving on. <laughs> Chapter seven. Fair is dressed, mm-hmm. and Alice brings her back down to eat dinner. She's gonna eat this time because now she knows that the fair food's fine. <laughs> well, no, she questions it. She really does. She I know. Still questions She's it. still stressed out about She's it. She's still like, uh-uh, I'm not eating. I'm not eating. My mm-hmm. stomach is growling, but I'm not going to eat. And again, the, the beast and Lucian are both like, the food isn't going to hurt you. And the beast is like, I promise you, 
it will not hurt or harm you in any way. Right. She doesn't believe him. They also poke fun at her for wearing pants. Yes. <laughs> and and Lucian basically makes the comment about humans being more wild than the fae. <laughs> and I'm just like, I, I don't know what to think about that. But then I, sadly, I look at, I look at some of the stuff I see on TV and some of the people out there in the world today. And I'm like, mm, maybe they're not wrong. Yeah. Maybe, um, yeah, exactly. Who, who knows? And they, she's still refusing. And finally the, the beast, mm-hmm. he goes and he grabs a plate and he starts to serve <laughs> her food. He puts food on a plate for her, makes right, her sick right. and, and, and puts his food on a plate. Yeah. And she's just like, I'm not going to eat it. And he is like, it is a huge honor for humans to be served by a fae. And so she's like, I guess I am a little on the hungry Greece side. side. <laughs> just a bit. A bit. <laughs> She tries to get away, and, and, and there's an ensuing battle, and, and the beast uses magic on her and basically traps her in the chair <laughs> and won't let her up until she eats. So she does finally give in. She starts to eat. Yep, yep. And while she's eating, she finds out what the name of the beast is. Woo, woo, woo. His name is Tamlin. Okay, now we finally have everybody in the room has a name. Yes, everyone has a name now. We have <laughs> Alice, we have Lucian, we have Fira, we have Tamlin. Okay, we all have Ooh. names now. Again, Tamlin is an important name to know. And again, this goes back to my weird knowledge of Celtic mythology and fairy tales. There are some fairy tales about a character in Celtic mythology called Tamlin. Yep, there, yep. There are two fairy tales. The first mm-hmm. one is basically the basis for Rip Van Winkle. Um, no, that's not this Tamlin. Yeah, so just take that information, put it in your brain, and file it elsewhere, not under Akatar. Yeah, not under Akatar. <laughs> this is not Rip Van Winkle. Not even a little bit. No, no, no. But the other Tamlin story is of a knight who is taken by the Queen of Fairy and being kept hostage. And so that Tamlin story. Yes, that is this Tamlin story. You don't know it yet. So again, put a pin in it, put it in the back of your mind. This will come to play much later. But it is important to know your tam- your your, your mm-hmm. mythologies because the name has importance. Some of these names really do have importance. Sarah J. Math didn't just like read a baby book and pick names. <laughs> yeah, no, no, she didn't. She took it a little more seriously. Yeah, you know, this is Beauty and the Beast, but there are other things at play. She she doesn't just stick with one storyline. No, no. Um. Anyway, so she's eating. And the one thing that starts to occur to, to fair is no matter how good of the food was she had when she lived in the human lands, it's not as good as the food she's eating right now. It's really that good. And she just kind of can't, kind of cannot get her brain to wrap around it and go past that. Anyway, while she's eating, she starts talking to, to Tamlin and she's like confirming that they're both high fae. She asks, is she to be their slave? Which kind of makes them both laugh. And Tamlin's like, never. I do not believe in that. Won't do it. We'll have nothing to do with it. Like, he's very, very adamant. No slavery in any way, shape, or form. Right. She begs to leave. And she tries to explain that she needs to go back to take care of her family. Mm-hmm. That without her there, she's not... They aren't going to eat. They aren't going to have any wood. They're not... 
they're not going to be able to take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. And Tamlin's trying to assure her, no, no, they're fine. I took care of them. Which you're like, nice. But, you know, as the reader, it begs the question, well, okay, dude, how? But, yeah. I mean, I feel like I have so many questions at this point, or at least I would if I were her, that honestly, I'd be like, I guess that's fine. (laughs) I mean, the things things that she's let slide by without questioning. Right. Favorite is begging to go home so she can take care of her family. Right, she's right. arguing, arguing, arguing with Tam and, yes. and and Lucian that she needs to go home because without her there, they're going to starve. And he keeps going, they're taken care of. And this conversation happens a lot. Like bleeds into the next chapter. It does. And it's a, a little bit reminiscent of remember when we were talking about, I guess, what, chapter four, when he was explaining to her, like, you got two options, die or come with me. Yeah. What? Die or come with me. What? what? Die, die or, or come, come with me. me. It. We're now doing the same thing, but now instead it's, but my family, they're taken care of. But my family, they're taken care of. <laughs> I mean, I get it. I understand. It's, I don't know. I mean... She sees Tam's response as being, you know, fairy vanity and arrogance. Right. Um, so she doesn't really believe him, per se. Yeah, or, or Lucian. <laughs> um, she really just wants the, to leave the table. She's done eating, and she's yeah. like, that's it, fine. If you're not going to do that, I want to leave. And Lucian cannot believe that she would rather be with <laughs> no one instead of them. Like, Come on, like, are we pretty enough for you? Yeah, he, like, launches into this random, like, conversation. Like, he basically starts interrogating her. her. (laughs) Like, aren't we the prettiest you've ever seen, though? Like, you're telling me somebody in your hometown is partier? And this is just such a weird conversation. so bizarre. And, (laughs) you know, they're questioning. Following them, it's like, well, do you love somebody? And she's like, well, no, I mean, I had somebody, but... No, I didn't love him. Which, like, you know, credit to her, because at least she's decided that, like, I guess if I'm here and they're going to ask me dumb questions, I'm going to respond. It's true. Because she could have been like, what is, what, what kind of stupid line of questioning is this? And then they're like, well, <laughs> so you had this guy that you were having fun with, and, um, <laughs> but are you in love with someone else? You know, did you, did you have a partner? And she was like, No. Which, again, is just, like, a really weird left turn from, like, but my family, they're taken care of. But my family, they're taken care of. But my family. So do you have a boyfriend? (laughs) (laughs) It's so weird. Okay. Which, in fairness, I mean, I guess I was tired of answering the, but my family questions. So, I mean, part of me feels like this was Lucian's chance to, like, change, change the topic. The topic. <laughs> he was We're like, going to take the topic and yeah, move the bus. Like, I am tired of this conversation and I am bored. Yes. To make this interesting. So they do that. So she goes to go to bed and Alice helps her go to bed and it, the same chapter continues and you wake up the next morning and she wakes up before anybody's come into her room, before the sun's risen. And you find out she set a snare trap all over her room. <laughs> now, you know that whatever she set 
isn't gonna hurt anybody in the house except right. maybe her i mean like they're immortal they're immortal fairies like, like hello come on they're how much stronger than you but you know credit where credit's due she tried she tried and she even finally acknowledges she didn't set it to actually hurt anyone it was more like an alarm yeah that was basically her alarm system for her room um anyway alice comes in to wake her up and she's so mad she's so upset <laughs> <laughs> this is like this is like mom taking the kid to task here. Yeah. She's like, did you have to ruin the drapes? Really? <laughs> like, Alice is kind of like, uh, again, Alice has a lot of empathy. And, and and like I said, Kim and I haven't really shown that yet because the beginning of this book is kind of funny. Uh, but like, we all feel for her. She is scared. She is stressed out. But Alice is like, yes. okay, I get it. I get it. I feel for you. You're stressed out. You don't really want to be here. But girl, my drapes. <laughs> like, why did you touch my shit? Well, and not only that, but she's like, you do realize this this would not have hurt anybody. Right, this wasn't gonna work. So couldn't you have just why? Why did not... you even bother? <laughs> and Alice at this point says, We are under orders not to harm a hair on your head. Right. Like right. Tamlin has told us we can't we can't lay a finger on you. In any way, shape, or form that could be deemed negative or harmful. Yeah, so, like, you're good. Uh, I get that I probably should have mentioned that before, and I didn't. So, uh, no harm, no foul, but don't touch my quilt. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> and so they get her dressed and fed breakfast. And she looked at Alice, and she's like, so what do I do? Because, again, she got nowhere with that one last night when she was asking. Right. What, what do I do? Do I need a job? Bear in mind, this is a girl who spent the last several years hunting and and doing the chores around the house. And I mean, she was the one taking care of everything. Yeah, I mean, like, Lord knows I can't sit still, so I can't blame her that she's like, okay, cool. What's what's the plan now? Yeah. And they're just like... Nothing. Yeah, this is the plan. You're here now. <laughs> yeah. I feel for her. I do. I do. Yeah. It sucks. I, I, I have to admit, I probably go a little bet chick crazy in the same situation yeah exactly and alice is finally like well you could take a walk in the garden which like in fairness like thank you alice we can tell even alice is like i don't know i'm not your keeper Poor alice. <laughs> oh no girlfriend go find somewhere to be it's nice outside <laughs> go play outside <laughs> she really and truly poor ferris she's like all right fine so she's walking around trying to find a way out and all of a sudden, Fabra notices the art in the house. And it literally stops her in her tracks. Mm -hmm. um, she is absolutely blown away by the quality of it. Um, the similarity of it to what she knows humans have. But just that it's ten times more than anything she would ever see in the human realm. Right, right. Um and it just, it, it really is, the beauty of it just really kind of knocks her away mentally, emotionally. She just, wow. She runs into Tamlin. <laughs> Which goes... Spectacularly uh, awful. Yeah. And Tamlin has the choice to either live as a beast with no mask or to live as a high fae with a mask. Right, there's two right. choices. And the 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 wolf that she killed was his name was Andrus, mm -hmm. and Andrus was literally sent over the wall to find a cure 
for this right. curse, for, for the blight, for the sickness. Right. Which takes us right into chapter eight. Right. Because now we're getting to a point where Fair is finally kind of starting to put this together. And she mentions it a little bit when she shows up at the manor house. She says mm-hmm. like something along the lines of she didn't really think about how how they might live and how they might have, you know, like houses and manors and, and, you know, gardens and these things. Like she had never spent any time thinking about how like the Fae or any of the high Fae would live. And now she's suddenly realizing like, this wasn't some nameless wolf that happened to be a fairy. Like this was their, this was their friend. He had a name. He had a home. He had people that cared about him. Right. So now she's like kind of internalizing that and realizing like, oh, that's what's What's happening happening here. (laughs) Right. So chapter eight is a lot of her being like, oh, I get it now. Yes. Yes. So Farrah's decided she wants to seek out Lucian. She's going to try and plead her case to him to (laughs) let her escape and, and break her promise to live there with Tam. Right. She's thinking, given the two options, uh, we know Tamlin's like really socially awkward. (laughs) So she's like, okay, maybe Lucian, who seems to have Tamlin's ear, maybe Lucian can help me out a little bit. Maybe Maybe he'll be easier to convince. He doesn't like me, doesn't want me here anyway. So, well, you know, she she could get lucky. Mm -hmm. Um, But as she's walking through the garden, and again... She has the sensation of people watching her, but she can't really figure it out. Shiny things disappear. And God, that feeling sucks. Like, have you ever been, like, convinced you're being watched and you can't figure out why? It's a miserable feeling. It is. It's the worst. So, they get back in and they're eating dinner later that night. And... She decides to steal a knife from the dining table, like a butter right. knife, because she needs a weapon, because Tamlin took her knife. Right. Like, dumbass, what do you do with a... I'm sorry, but... Well, yeah, and it's really funny, because she even says that she feels like they're watching... Like, she doesn't... She's not even convinced she took it all sneaky-sneaky. She's, like, talking to herself in her head. She's like, okay, be sneaky, be sneaky. Lucian is looking directly at me. I don't know. Maybe he could hear me moving the knife. Or maybe you're just being really awkward. Like, I don't even know if it t- takes, like, a high fade to pick up on you stealing this knife right now. I'm pretty sure you just have awkward written all over your face. Because remember, the only people in the room are Tam, Lucian, and her. Her. So, I, what? What? <laughs> but anyway. But while they're eating, Tam suddenly announces to Lucian that Farrah likes to hunt. Yes. He acknowledges that her father did not have the hands of a hunter. Right. right. And that's how he actually finally realized. I think that's part of, you know, when he was looking back and forth and back and forth, as much as he would rather the sisters who looked healthy. Right. Were the ones who did it. Yeah. I'm sorry, but if once I think he really started to look physically, look and notice things, he realized that the only one who was capable of doing what they did was her. And, Questions start coming out about her family and, and she talks about her mom and, and again, the promise mm-hmm. of having to take care of everyone that her mother died from typhoid mm-hmm. and her age is given out. Right. Because one of them asks her, how old are you? And she says she was 19. She's 19. She's 19 years old. 
She's been the sole provider for her family at age 19. It's kind of crazy. Well, and she was only eight when her mother died. I know. So she's been doing this for more than 10 years at this for point. For 11 years. Like, crazy. Yeah. So it kind of ends at a weird place because they're eating and they're having this conversation, but well, they're, they're all getting to know each other. Right, which is Awkward. good. But, and, and Lucian, like I said, I mean, I love him a little bit, but my man did not hold back. because No, no, he doesn't. Because he's like so young and so grave and a skilled killer already. <laughs> and it's like, wow, way to kill the dinner time conversation. Like... Well, that's a happy convo. Yeah. Like, Not. Yeah. So basically, uh, chapter eight is just a series of awkward conversations in the garden and over multiple, <laughs> multiple meals. meals. And like we said, some information comes out, you know, her age and, and a little bit about her mom. And But basically, we are in a holding pattern of these three people trying to communicate in like it's the weirdest chess game yeah. going on. Like, yeah, human nobody, chess yeah. game. Like, nobody wants to let their guard down uh-huh. and have any real conversations. So it's just awkward. It is so awkward. <laughs> and and I have to give Sarah J. Mass that, that there's, it's one thing to read a conversation and think that's awkward. It's another thing to like, while you're reading the chapter, feel, feel awkward. awkward. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like she did a good job of making me feel like I was there. I was just as uncomfortable as anybody else. <laughs> in the room. Like, <laughs> it, it, and you also kind of realize that, that Alice really is kind of on yeah side. all of a sudden yeah you're thinking in comparison and you're like dang alice is like a talk show host comparatively to these people <laughs> welcome to the oprah show <laughs> yeah like for real i'm like man she's got she is a social butterfly in this house like mm. oh boy so that's chapter eight so all right chapter nine chapter nine okay okay we're getting there because we're getting through one through ten today so chapter nine uh, like we said, Farrah's kind of decided that her best chance of getting back home is if she can get Lucian on her side. So she's, it's like the morning and she's chatting with Alice and she's kind of like, so what do you think Lucian would be up to today? And she's like, oh, he's like probably down at the stables getting ready to go out on patrol, you know. And so uh, Farrah's like, okay, cool. Uh, I, You know, anyway, uh, small talk. <laughs> And then she starts to not like, subtle, yes, yeah, super at all. not subtle. And Alice is just like, whatever, I don't care. Um, <laughs> because Alice has already told us earlier in the book that she thinks uh, Lucian could basically uh, he needs he needs someone who can pretty much put him in his place. Yeah, he could afford to be taken down a peg, and that she or thinks, five. <laughs> <laughs> and she thinks Favor could uh, you know match him uh, you know wit for wit. So. Yeah, so Alice is like, okay, good. You two be friends. <laughs> Basically, yeah. So she starts to leave the manor house and head to the stables, and Tamlin appears, and he's like trying to be friendly. He's so awkward. Yeah, he's like trying to be friendly. He's like, um, do you want a tour of the grounds? And she then proceeds into the most awkward conversation ever. She's like, I'd prefer to spend today alone, I think, but thank you for the offer. Like, what a terrible response when you know you're just waiting for him to walk away so that you can go down to the stables and find Lucian. Like, that's not going to get back to him. No, yeah. Like, like, really? You're dumb enough to think he's not going to know? 
like, and while I too prefer redheads, this is a terrible plan. <laughs> like, while I get it, uh, this is a terrible plan. But anyway, Tamlin's like, okay, whatever. And he kind of stomps off. Yeah, he like stomps off. We like, wait a minute. And then we head out to the stables. Well, I mean, he, he doesn't have the best attitude about it. He's kind I of. I mean, he doesn't because he could open up any other conversation and instead he just like leaves. I mean, talking to him is like talking to an awkward. 13 year old boy yeah yeah which also yeah at one of these Ugh. mini meals uh lucian points that out lucian's like you are like the worst at talking to females what is wrong with you <laughs> right yeah lucian's like i forget he even says it's been like a decade he's like if you not your ability to talk to females in the last decade has gone down um, even worse than where it was before yeah so like i don't know he's awkward he leaves it's fine we head down to the stables and when she's getting there, she's, like, trying to plan, like, okay, like, I'm in my head. Okay, what's my plan? What's my next move? And then Lucian just, like, strolls out. He's like, good morning. Want to go on a ride? And she's like, uh, uh, I guess. Because, <laughs> like, that is what she wants. But, like, she was trying to play it cool. And he kind of, like, ruined it. Because he, he was just, like, all up in her face. Well, um, and she's ignored by all the stables. Stable right. Oh, like, all the stable hands are totally ignoring her. So he's, like, giving her the only attention. So she, like, has no choice. Anyway, so she's like, yeah, let's go. And then they go on their ride. And Lucian is, like, trying to get to know Fair a little. And she's being really quiet. And he's kind of like, why are you, why did you come with me if you're not going to talk? This is so lame. <laughs> and so he starts asking her, like, about her hunting abilities since... Oh, well, but she did leave. He did make sure when they left that she had a quiver and yes. a bow. Yes, So she had a quiver of arrows and a bow. Yes. So He's like, I want to see this hunting skill of yours. Right. And then and then she still proceeds not to talk. So then he's, like, questioning her about her hunting abilities since, like, you know, she killed his friend and all. Yeah. So, like, he's a little bitter. Uh, and then we, <laughs> then we get this internal dialogue where... Finally, like we said in the last chapter, Farrah is putting this all together. Yeah. And she finally, like in her in her mind, she's saying, like, I Andres had a place, a place here and friends here. And he wasn't just some nameless, faceless fairy. And I mean, as somebody who's like pretty empathetic, I find it annoying that it took her this long yeah. to like really put it together. But she is only 19. She has been through a lot. Like, I'm going to try to show her some grace. But to be fair, the fact that she kind of to this point hasn't contemplated at all, like, like she played a role in getting herself here. Well, absolutely. It's like there is blame on all sides here. Kid. Sure, sure. And so it's interesting because like now – you know, like I said, chapters one through eight, I'm thinking like, dear Lord, are we doing Hunger Games? Like, is she going to be like this one note, like hard ass who like doesn't live in the real world? But, but no, she, she just takes a little while to come around. Yeah, she does. Yeah. So now they're finally talking <laughs> and Lucian finally comes out with, so are you going to start trying to persuade me to beseech Tamlin to find a way to free you from the treaty's rules? Because, oh, by the way, if I had my way, you'd be gone. Right. Uh, but but still, my heart, sexy redhead, ain't stupid. No. <laughs> he knows what she was trying to do, and she's the like, whole time. yeah. So uh, yeah. So she's like, uh, she plays dumb for a second, and she realizes this isn't gonna work. So then she's just like trying to reason with him, and yeah. Long story short, he's like, nope, can't not, do it. Yeah, not gonna happen. <laughs> can't not, won't. Sorry. And then he says a line that cracks me up because it just feels like real frat boy and not fairy like at all. He just goes, I admire your balls, Farrah. <laughs> I really do. 
And I'm like, what a weird, weird line. Like up until this point, I've been like, Sarah J. Massenauer, like she's writing, like, I think I am down. And then I admire your balls, Farah. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> what am I reading? But it's fine. We recover. It, it does. Well, it does make you kind of think like, am I reading a bad jock romance? <laughs> <laughs> right. You're like, wait, where is this story going? So yeah. it's just a shark. It, yeah, it was, it was something, but I swear it like, goes up we're like we are we are on a journey and it only gets better from here uh that line is not an indication of anything to come uh but i couldn't ignore it it's no, too you funny can't, you can't ignore it it's very bizarre <laughs> and so moving along uh Farrah now asks him some questions trying to figure out like how high fate power works like mm. like what what are his powers what are tamlin's powers and honestly lucian does a terrible job explaining this i personally think but he does a horrible job <laughs> Yeah, so he mentioned some, basically, he vaguely mentioned some stuff Tamlin can do that he can't, like shape-shifting, and some stuff that, like, other Faye can do that he also can't do, <laughs> which eventually leads him to answering Faye's question about how, like, there is a type of fairy that can answer questions honestly if you trap them. Like, yep. they, they have to give you honest answers. You have to trap them. you have to trap them. It's kind of like, if you... It's like you get to play 20 questions with this thing you trapped for as long as it's trapped. <laughs> and so that is that would be called uh, the surreal. And yes. <laughs> Lucian says that they're old and wicked, but like, yes, they do answer questions if trapped. And he tells her it's a terrible idea to catch one. We would have motivation. <laughs> right. And she's like, a light bulb moment. And we would have like done a deep dive into this if uh, they hadn't suddenly sensed this really weird presence. And Lucian basically tells Farah, put the bow down, look straight ahead, shut up, don't move, just carry on, right? Yes. And, like, he looks so terrified that she, like, doesn't question him. And so she does what she's told. And they essentially hear this creepy, crawly voice trying to lure them to look at it. And they don't even know what it is. Kind of like this, like, far-off fog that they can hear, like, mm. talking to them. But they don't look, you know, and, and good on her. She follows directions. <laughs> and eventually they pass whatever this is. And she knows they've passed it because Lucian finally, like, Moves. chills out a little bit and, like, lets out But breath. even the horses knew something was off. Because, like, yeah. their ears get flattened down. Yeah. And the whole bit. I mean, it's weird. We know something is super awry. Yes. Uh, so chapter nine just kind of ends in the middle of this where it's like, and then we let out a breath and it's okay. <laughs> so chapter 10 starts with Lucian explaining to favor what just happened. He's explaining that what they encountered is called the bogey and it's a creature that you can't hunt or kill. And it, it's kind of like, it's like the boogeyman. It's only there yeah. if you acknowledge it. So we move away from the terror of the bogey pretty quickly into more Lucian and Farah back and forth banter, which like I'm a hundred percent living for at this point. <laughs> it is good. It's definitely the most entertaining it's, thing going on. Yeah, in the book I'm like point. living for that. Uh, and they're talking and he makes a joke that she doesn't really respond to. And he says, do you ever stop being so serious and dull? And she says, do you ever stop being such, such a, a prick? prick? <laughs> and she's like all of us who have ever had courage for 0.2 seconds. And she, like, immediately regrets it and is thinking, like, I guess today's the day I die. <laughs> um, but instead, he just looks at her and grins and says, much better. 
Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, this is why I love this man. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so they get back to the manor house and at dinner, <laughs> Lucian feels like he has no choice but to tell Tamlin what happened while they were out. So first critter they ran into. Yeah. So first of all, you can tell he can he's like, oh, I have to admit that I hung out with Fair today, and I'm pretty sure Fair blew him off. So this is gonna be awkward. And so that is awkward. And he's like Tam's pissed. Yeah, Tam's like pissed off. And Lucian's like, great, I'm gonna get chewed out about this later. And then he's like, but also we uh ran into the bogey. And then Tamlin just like immediately dips from dinner. He was like, wait, where? Yeah. And Lucian tells him, because, you know, he's a good guy. And uh, Tamlin just, like, dips from dinner. And Farrah's like, what just happened? And Lucian's like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> and uh, he's, like, trying to explain her. He's like, yeah, he's, he's going after the bogey. And she's like, but you said it can't be killed. And Lucian's like, oh, no. Like, I said, I can't kill it. And, like, we can't kill it. Tam can. Yep. And then he doesn't elaborate on this at all. And dinner's just, like, over. It's so weird. <laughs> and it's just like, well, that was an awkward conversation. So Favor's like, okay, well, guess that's dinner. And <laughs> uh, heads up to her room and is getting ready for bed. And she notices something outside her window. And she's looking down into the courtyard. And is it a bird? Is it a plane? Is it a fairy? It's not Superman. No, it's her father. Dun, dun, dun. And then that's where we leave you today, folks, because chapter 10 is really awkward and just ends there. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, but what happens next? So that's where we'll pick up with chapter 11 for our next episode. Uh, but before we leave you, we have uh, one more thing we want to do. Uh, remember when I said we like to relate pop culture to pop culture and uh, have some fun? Well, we thought like, you know, maybe you're like us and you're like a real obsessive fan and like maybe you want to make yourself a Spotify playlist to listen to while you read. <laughs> or even if you're not a, an obsessive fan, maybe you're one of those people like me, a music I, I always end up with a soundtrack to something. Like, I sure. joke that I have a soundtrack to my own life. Right, right. And, like, one of the songs that I would put in for me for high school is Billy Joel's um, Only the Good Die Young. Right, I get you. <laughs> Which, if you knew me in high school, you'd understand why that's kind of important. I um, mean, also, like, in fairness, like... You have to remember, we, we, we warned you that we both come to the theater world, so, like, musicals are a thing. thing? So, I mean, we kind of look at, you know, life could be a musical if you felt the need for it to be. Absolutely. Uh, so, we're going to help you build a Spotify playlist by giving you suggestions based on chapter events and characters. So, uh, for this was a bigger chunk than we'll normally do. And, uh, you know, just chart, starting off the book, you know, we wanted to get a good chunk in there and get you really started. And so, for chapters 1 through 10, we have a handful of songs for you uh we know you can find these on spotify because we did and a fun fact if you are listening to this podcast on spotify uh we can actually play the songs for you at the end of the episode so you'll hear those playing back to back if you want to listen to them and then go find them and download uh and if you're listening on any other platform like i said you can just go into spotify and type these in and we will leave them in the show notes for you yes yes these first three songs are about characters in the book um, the first one is Farah's song that when we hear it, it makes us think of Farah because of the spirit of the song and what the song means. And that is fight song. 
Yeah, it's there. Yeah. It's Feyre. This is a girl who at 19 is literally taking on supporting her family right. and, and feeding them the whole bit. So she certainly is is no shrinking violet. For sure. The next one, the, the song that is kind of fitting that, that we like for a character. And and bear in mind, if it's a character song, this, it, it you could literally put it, and we probably will at some point, like... It goes throughout the book or the book series because of the character. Right. It's about the character. Right. So sometimes their songs may be the same throughout multiple books. Sometimes it may change. It might change. But the specific to one character is Elaine's song. Yes. Elaine is so sugary sweet, innocent and pure. And we don't get a lot about her. So we don't. So we have to go off of what we know about her. And... Um, her song is Walking on Sunshine by <laughs> Katrina and the Waves. Because she is just, like, kind of oblivious and kind of in her own little happy world. <laughs> and nothing bad. And la, 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 la. So, so that's, that's Elaine. <laughs> now, there are two other songs in here on, on this list that summarize characters in, in the in the story. Um as we've talked about, you've heard us talk about Tamlin and, and, and his kind of attitude. And if you know the song, Mr. Big Stuff, <laughs> you'll understand why this song is so appropriate for Tamlin. And if you don't, go listen, listen to, to it, it. And then pay attention in our next podcast, particularly as we get a little more of his personality. Melody, it's so fitting. <laughs> Just trust us when we say it, it is really, it's it's Tamlin's song. He He... I mean, think about it. The way he interacts with, with Feyre, he's a bit of a douche canoe. <laughs> just a little. He's just like, he doesn't know how bad he is at talking to her. Like, no. he thinks this is fine. <laughs> he's such a douche. Um, oh. It's and okay. He, we anyway. think it's better, sort of. <laughs> he, does, he does get better. He, he improves. Over time. Yes. Over time. Like I said, next episode, we get some, we get some good moments. But he definitely... Yeah, he's a bit of a douche canoe, especially in the beginning and how he deals with her. He's such a, a douche canoe with Yeah, her. it's pretty accurate. The, the the last character song is really two characters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and we both laugh about this because it, it's just kind of funny how it works out. And it, yeah, I mean, it as with all our song suggestions, uh, a lot of them are are kind of like inside jokes we're bringing you in on. Yeah. Um, some songs, especially as we move on to later chapters, uh, are definitely more like emotion based, chapter plot point yes, based. Yes, um, yes. Right now, as we're getting to know everybody, it's just kind of uh, a lot of fun. So uh, a lot of tongue in cheek. Please yeah. know there's a lot of tongue in cheek going on here. Yeah. We are not being. We're, we're being we're being very cheeky and funny and, yes. and kind of so, mild, mildly inappropriate. <laughs> so then I guess we get to give Lucian and Alice they can share a song. Friend like me, thank you, <laughs> Jeannie. Um, From Aladdin. Aladdin and 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 no, I am not talking about the Will Smith version though. It's an awesome version. No, no, no. And really, in my heart of hearts. Lucian's at least is definitely the Robin Williams version. For sure. For sure. Like this is a man who like doesn't re he doesn't like really want to be her friend. He doesn't really have a choice right now, but he's having moments where he's having a lot of fun. fun. And it's very Robin Williams for me in that. And and so those are our character songs for this podcast, but there are three 
three songs that really kind of play a part in chapter six and somewhat beyond. And the first one is the song Home by Philip Phillips. And it's because he basically tells her, this is your home. Mm-hmm. Make yeah. yourself comfortable. Fanlin is trying repeatedly to get her to understand this. You know, welcome. Welcome to your new place. I will do what I can to kind of sort of make you feel welcome. Right. Welcome home. So listen to the song. Listen to the lyrics. Really think about what he's saying in there. And and. It, I hope you you see what we're talking about. And because as much crap as we give him about being socially awkward, I think he is. Um, He's trying. Yes, he, he is, is trying, and I think he really does mean it. He really doesn't want her to feel like a prisoner. Right, because she's not. It, and because he does make a comment uh, at some point in one of these chapters where he was telling Lucian, like, you should have seen the home she came from. Yeah. And, like, he really does feel for her. He does. And so it... it like, we give him a lot of crap because he has a bad job of showing it. <laughs> He does have a, a good heart. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the next song is, of course, there's a song it's called Behind the Mask. <laughs> and it's literally talking about the man behind the mask. So, like, you get it. You get it. Hello. He comes into the house and he goes from beast form to high fae and, well, we have new fairy fashion. It's masks. <laughs> and, and in that sense, it's appropriate for Lucian in the sense of who are these people behind these masks on right. their face? And the last song, and, and it's really chapter seven and beyond, because of Tamlin's awkwardness and his just, wow, he's he's so socially awkward. Yeah, he's something. And um, it, it's Depeche Mode's Enjoy the Silence. Because that's really all we're getting at these dinners. It's so awkward and we're silent. Getting, and... I mean, when you think about the amount of internal dialogue we get from Farah, it's like, wow, that must be a lot of silence. silence. <laughs> you must be feeling a lot of awkward silences right now. Um, but yeah, so those are your songs to get you started. Like I said, if you listen on Spotify, you'll hear these kind of run through the end of the episode. Uh, if you listen on any other platform, you're welcome to go find the songs. All right, so that brings us to the end of today's episode, and we're glad you joined us. Uh, It depends on where you are in your journey. You can either skip on to the next episode if you're already done with the book or you've already read through chapters 19. We're going to do 11 through 19 for our next chunk. Uh, We know this episode ran a little long, and the next one might as well, but that's because we're trying to get you a little... Uh, you know, further along into our story here to get started, because uh, there's a lot more to deep dive into the further we get into the book. The more we know about these people, the more we know about these places. The more we have to say. <laughs> yeah, the more feels we have. <laughs> yes. The stronger the opinion. Right. Uh, so in the meantime, you can either jump on over to the next episode, or you can find us on all the things. You can check out our website, massivefansbookclub.com. You can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest. Facebook, we're Massive Fans Book Club and Podcast. Twitter, we are at Massive Podcast. And Pinterest, at Massive Fans. Those are with two A's for Sergey Massive's name. Ha ha, we so funny. Yes, we are. <laughs> and uh, if you're really just dying to chime in or you have a really interesting perspective on one of these chapters that we're going to cover in the next couple of weeks, feel free to reach us. Uh, reach us by email. Uh, you can email us at massivefanspodcast at gmail.com. We'll talk to y'all soon. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Have fun. Bye. Bye. Bye.